Hmm, it's still offline. Interesting. Something is happening. Yep, okay, all right, it is online. Hello and welcome back to the Daily Bible Reading Show. Um, yeah, we're looking at uh, Acts chapter, chapter, chapter 11. Uh, it's the bank holiday jubilee today. Sorry, Queen's Jubilee bank holiday. So lots of people are off, meaning they're still sleeping. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just checking my messages. Um, yeah. What's happening? Oh, good news for my boss. My boss got an OBE. That's really well deserved, actually. I think I think I'm so happy for that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, all right. So we're looking at Acts chapter eleven and picking up from verse one. Now the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying. By the way, he's going to recap everything that happened in chapters 9 and 10. So um, if you're following the series, this will sound very, very familiar. Okay, so I was in the city. Peter says, of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. Now what's interesting is this is so similar to um, the account in chapter 9 that probably it means that um, Luke, Luke was almost interviewing Peter, when he got the details, which makes sense. I mean, he's quoting him verbatim here. But this is so similar to chapter 9 that when Luke was first describing it back in chapter 9, you can tell that he'd probably been sitting down with Peter asking him what's going on, what's going on. And he was just noting down the details according to how Peter experienced it. And so here, when Peter puts it into his own words, you see that it's from his perspective. So it's interesting to see that there's actually a connection between Peter and Luke, the person who wrote Acts. Okay, um, uh, verse 10, this happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent me to, sent me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, and um, say, "Send to Joppa, bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household." As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, "John baptized with water, but you will be." 
baptized with the Holy Spirit. Ah, interesting. So again, from Peter's perspective, he remembered Jesus's words, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And actually, uh, this is what Jesus said back in Acts chapter 1. Never noticed this before. Yeah, chapter 1, verse 5, John baptized with water, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is Peter seeing the Holy Spirit falling on Cornelius. When he sees that, he immediately thinks of what Jesus is saying. It's almost as Jesus explaining to him through the Holy Spirit to Peter, explaining to him what he's seeing. You know, Jesus is the one responsible for this baptism of the Holy Spirit, for this conversion, for this change of demographics, you know, this uh, non-Jewish person coming to faith. He said, Jesus is the one baptizing him with the Holy Spirit. So uh, Peter, I think, is uh, explaining his conviction as to why this is a good thing, this is a right thing. Jesus anticipated this. And remember, he's rehashing all these details for the benefit of the people in Jerusalem, um, the apostles and the brothers, verse 1, uh, and also the circumcision party, verse 2, who criticized them, says, you went into the homes of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Yeah, so why are you hanging out with those guys? And Peter is explaining that Jesus told me to do this. This is Jesus' idea. Verse 17, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when he believed in, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, sorry, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So also that quick change of heart says also, also, <laughs> you know, even those guys, you know, God has granted eternal life. So it's still a shock. It's still a surprise, but they praise God for their surprise. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to Hellenists, or Greeks also, uh, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Uh, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and of faith. Interesting, the connection between someone who's full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. He's someone who encourages you. You know, uh, you think of someone full of the Holy Spirit, maybe they're full of passion. Or, you know, um, um, or even that they're a leader in a church. You know, Barnabas was the guy sent by the leaders to encourage others. And the person that you send, you want to be super, super, super encouraging. And also, this person is described as full of the Holy Spirit. Actually, it's worth making that connection. Someone who is just really, really encouraging, really, really positive. Why is that? He has the Holy Spirit in him. I think that's something really special about Barnabas. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people 
And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Hey, so this is interesting. Okay, so they were first known as Christians in this place called Antioch. So Antioch is this place that's obviously not in Jerusalem, but also made up of these Greek-speaking people, non-Jewish people. And in order to encourage them, what uh, Barnabas does is he brings Saul there. He brings um, da, 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 Saul. Yeah, he brings Saul from Tarsus. He goes all the way there, brings him there. And he brings him in to to do what? Um, to teach. You know, verse 26 again, taught a great many people. So his role as a, an encourager, Barnabas, he thinks the way that I'm going to encourage these people is they need to hear God's word taught to them. And the best person that can do this is Saul. In a way, no one else wants him. You know, every, he's been sent away because... You know, he's been threatened. Um, his life has been threatened because he keeps speaking up for Jesus. But these guys actually want to hear from him, and he's the perfect guy. And he's just going to bring him there, and they spend one whole year there encouraging this church. Verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And he did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So there's a prophet named Agabus who comes to this church saying there's going to be a famine back in Jerusalem. So remember, they're far away from Jerusalem, but this is the center of Christianity at this point of time. And um, he says, you know, people are going to be starving. There's not going to be a lot of food. And what they do is they send, uh, I think, money. Maybe they send some food as well, but essentially they're sending help. And they send it by Barnabas and Saul. So it seems that everyone recognizes that if you want to send someone, send Barnabas and send, well, send Saul as well, now in, in connection to Barnabas. Barnabas is the kind of guy you send. If there's an emergency, you send him. If there's someone who needs help, you send Barnabas. If there's someone who needs encouragement, who, you know, who needs to have a friend with them during the time of need, Barnabas is the guy you send. And um, you think of missionaries as people you send. You know, sometimes you want to send the most capable people or the most entrepreneurial you hear that term a lot but why not send the most encouraging the person who will really lift their spirits because that's the guy who is full of the holy spirit and of faith verse 24 interesting dynamic interesting character trait of someone you want to send as a pastor an encourager as a teacher someone who is really really encouraging i wonder if you know anyone like that you know, maybe um, the temptation is to keep them in your church. <laughs> I mean, hopefully this doesn't happen, but sometimes you send the ones you don't want to stay around. You send them away, and you want to keep the ones that uh, that you love around. But actually, it's the opposite. The best people you're sending away to encourage others. That's great. Yeah. And they send them back to you. Interesting. Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch. They are sending Barnabas back to Jerusalem.
sorry, I just got a message. Uh, let me see what was that message. Hmm. I'm surprised that people are up already. Wow, yeah, uh, all these students, yeah. <laughs> all right, so let's pick up from uh, verse, from chapter 12, sorry. Uh, this is Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that, he pleased the Jews. He proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Hmm. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So it shows how impossible for him to escape. Yeah, two chains and these two chains next to him, two soldiers, and then there were also people guarding the door. Uh, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, bam, you know, struck him on the side, and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Um, I wonder if there's a Martin Luther song, you know, my chains fell off, you know, um, an analogy for um, how, you know, the sin, you know, uh, grips you like a chains. But this is, this, these are real chains. This, are, this is not an analogy. You know, his chains actually fell off his hands, like a miracle. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed uh, him. He did not know what was being done, but the angel was real. <laughs> But he thought he was seeing a vision. He was, he he thought he was dreaming, or he thought he was seeing a vision. He he really did not think this was actually happening. Uh, verse ten: When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord, on its own accord, and they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. <laughs> so it's only after he, he passes all these guards, you know, he goes into the city that he realizes, Wow, I've just been rescued from prison. This is a breakout from prison. A uh, thing I really like is verse 8. Verse 8, the angel says to him, Dress yourself, put on your slippers, your sandals, and wrap a cloak around you. You see, the angel is about to rescue him, about to break open all these doors. Um, it opens on its own. But he says, you need to wear a jacket. It's quite cold outside. <laughs> it's like your mom saying, Hey, you know, make sure you wear a jumper. Make sure you bring an umbrella, that kind of thing. And it's so, so funny to think that God would think, you know, Peter... After I rescue him, it's going to be cold. It's like middle of the night, so he needs to wear a jacket. It's just an interesting detail that God is concerned even for the small things. Yeah, that, that's so cool. Um, verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, 
where many were gathered together and were praying. So, by the way, this Mark is the same Mark who wrote Mark's gospel. So it's also called John, and his name is Mark. And he is his mom is hosting this prayer meeting. And this is the first stop that Peter goes to after he's been rescued from prison. Um, verse 13, And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. <laughs> they said to her, you are out of your mind, but she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. Uh, so this servant girl, Rhoda, was so excited when she saw Peter at the door, she forgot to open the door. So Peter is still standing outside. Hey, let me in. <laughs> but what she does, she, she runs in and says, hey, Peter, Peter is back. You know, he's out from prison and they don't believe her because they're praying. They're praying for Peter to be released and they don't realize that God has answered their prayer. <laughs> It's so funny. Sometimes you're praying, oh, God, please help me with this. God, please, you know, do this thing. You know, please, you know, do this miracle. And God's already done it. And we don't believe that God will answer the prayer that we are praying right now. I think that says a lot about, uh, well, our faith. I and mean, it's great that they're praying. But also, do you believe that God will answer that prayer? And when God does answer that prayer, you know, will you say that, ah, oh, you know what, dismiss it. You know, it's just his angel. Verse 16, but Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, um, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Um, so it's 8.30 now, just noting the time. Um, so yeah, uh, the main reason why he came by is just to let them know that he's okay, but then he leaves. So Peter actually leaves Jerusalem at this point in time. And remember, Peter is like head of the church. You know, at this point in time, he's like the number one apostle. But he leaves, and interesting detail says, tell these things to James and the brother. And this is almost like a handover. After this, James becomes... Um, the leader of the council, leader of the leaders in Jerusalem. And it shows that Peter is not too attached to his uh, position in the church. You know, he just hands it over to someone else. He just leaves, you know, you know what, okay, you know, say hi to James. Yeah, and that's it. He doesn't have to have a ceremony even. You know, my boss today got an OBE, really, really impressive achievement. Um, someone was asking me whether it's going to be a ceremony. I, I hope so. You know, she's going to meet the queen and get this award. Um, but uh, Peter doesn't need this. Peter, for him, you know, is, um, he's, it's a temporary seasonal position that needs to be handed on to another point of time, to another person. And that's okay. I think that's the same with any ministry. We should always see it as temporary and seasonal. And we should always prepare for the time when we need to hand it over to someone else. And hopefully someone we've prepared, someone whom we know, and, you know, someone whom we trust. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, okay. Verse 18. Now when day came, uh, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that it should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Oh no, so he killed all these guards. The two guards chained 
next to him, all the guards at the doors, at the gates, he killed all of them. Just shows how vicious, vicious this, this uh, guard, this, sorry, this king is. Sorry, I'm getting messages. So I'm just checking them. Sorry about that. Uh, okay, so much happening today. Yeah. Hmm. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. All right. Um, verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. <laughs> it reminds me of Malaysia and Singapore. Um, I think as of yesterday, Malaysia stopped supplying chicken to Singapore. And uh, Singapore is dependent on Malaysia for so many things like water and uh, chicken. And so here is Herod, who is providing food to these other uh, two um, areas, you know, Tyre and Sidon. And he's angry with them. And they have no choice but to try to appease him, to say sorry. So they go through this secretary, the king's chamberlain, and they said, oh no, please, can we make peace? You know, can we be friends again? And it shows how, you know, when you're in power, you're in position, people have to come and kowtow down to you. And it might seem nice, but actually I think it's kind of fake. It's kind of tragic that the only reason why people want to be friends with you is because they're forced to. Um, but yeah, um, verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them, gave a speech, and the people were shouting, the voice of God and not a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. <laughs> but the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So the same Mark from before. Uh, Barnabas and Saul bring, brought him as their um, assistant, I guess, co-partner, that kind of thing. And it's interesting, all the links that are happening here um, uh, between, well, mainly between Peter and Herod. Remember, so Herod, this powerful king, puts Peter in prison. And the angel releases him, and then we come back to Herod. So there's a connection between these stories. And we we're meant to ask, you know, what's the connection between these two things? I think it's a picture of how God is in control. You know, Herod thinks that he is hot stuff. You know, you people you disagree with Herod, Herod with this king. He is the king. You have to say sorry to him. He does not say sorry to you. If the king does not like you, he can put you in prison like he did with Peter. He can kill you like he did with the guards. He can do anything and everything he wants. And, you know, you think, think you know, if this guy is in control, how can God be in control? How would God allow such a person to, you know, live, to be, to be in charge? And that's kind of like one of the common objections that you hear in the, in the world, right? You know, how can God exist if there is this war, if there's this famine, if there's COVID, that kind of thing? Well, it shows that God actually uses these people to show that he's in control. Uh, we see this in Peter, you know, Herod puts him in prison, but God just sends his angel. It's like no problem for God to release Peter from prison. And this is a lesson not just for Herod, but even for believers. We are praying for God to do these things. We don't even realize that God is answering our prayer. God is more than able to answer the prayer 
and God is God. And sometimes you need to pray with this kind of end. And when God convicts us of this, well, it, it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. You know, he's showing us that actually he does hear our prayers and we're meant to trust him all the more when he does. So that's um, God being able to release us from any kind of, you know, conflict, any kind of uh, serious oppression and persecution that comes because of our faith. God can still be God. But with Herod as well, he's in charge, you know, humanly speaking, everyone has to bow down to him, to, to everyone, they even consider him as God. You know, they even say to him, this is a voice of a God, you know, because of his ability to speak really well. And, you know, because he does not give glory to God, you know, God strikes him down and he dies there and then. And he shows that God can, you know, display his power in this very public way, striking down Herod the way that he strikes down all these soldiers. And we see the words struck down, actually have struck a couple of times. Well, God strikes Herod, that's obvious, and then he dies, and then he's eaten by worms. <laughs> Just shows how, how tragic it is. You know, show, it's a very gory detail, you know, worms eat him up. Um, I wonder if there's any symbolism to this. You know, it shows that you're, you're buried. Maybe that, that's, that's a picture. You're buried in the earth and then you're warm food. You're nothing. You know, that's all we are. Um, but actually, you remember that the angel struck Peter as well in the prison? You know, Peter was in prison and the angel strikes him and wakes him up. And it's showing that this kind of striking can either be in terms of uh, waking us up or striking us down. And, you know, both are struck. Peter is struck. Herod is struck. But what kind of striking are we expecting from God? The kind that strikes us down, humbles us, that rebukes us, and maybe even judges us? Or the kind of striking that wakes us up to see that, you know, God is delivering us. God is saving us. And we should trust Him more. We could should humble ourselves more. You know, Peter get hands over, you know, that... Um, that uh, that position that he has as leader of the council hands it over to James. Uh, reminds me as well, um, just a couple of chapters earlier, you know, when Peter meets Cornelius, Cornelius bows down to him and worships him. And he says, quickly, no, 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 don't do this. And there is a kind of cautiousness in Peter's to always give glory to God. And I think it's not for nothing that he does this. You know, he is saying that you know, God really, really deserves all of the glory. And it is a very dangerous thing even to try to hoard some of this glory to ourselves, even in the context of church, even in the context of ministry. So, so careful to do this. And you think, ah, oh, you know what, Peter, you're just superstitious. You know, just receive the praise. You know, it's fine. You know, they know that you're not God. But, you know, Peter said, no, 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 you shouldn't do this. And I wonder, I wonder if sometimes the kind of applause and attention we get as you know, people just doing Bible study or as leaders or some of you guys as pastors or as senior leaders in your church, you know, it's almost as if people are giving it to God, but they're directing it to you and you're, you're not maybe quick enough to go, hey, praise God, please, please do not say these kind of things to me because it's not appropriate because we should give all glory to God. And you think, you know, are you being a fuddy-duddy? Are you just being overly cautious? Well, look at Herod. He, he, people are just praising him, just a voice of God. They're just saying it from afar. And because Herod, it says there, did not give glory to God, God struck him down. 
as a lesson for him, but also as a lesson to the people around him. He says, hey, do not worship any man as God. And it's kind of a wake-up call again that only God deserves all the glory as the one in charge, the one who has the power to judge, and the one who has the ability to save. Yeah, so many lessons here. It's, it's a really, really powerful picture of how God really, really can answer prayer, can save us, and can judge us at the end of the day because only He is God. And therefore, He deserves all our praise, all our trust, all the glory. Yeah. Uh, okay, all right. Didn't cover a lot of ground. Just, um, just one chapter or two chapters. Yeah, not too bad. Okay, I'm going to stop it here. Thank you for listening. This has been the Daily Bible Reading Show. Uh, have a good uh, bank holiday uh, Thursday. Um, and you know, there are going to be more of these. I'm free today, so I'm going to try to cover as much of Acts as possible. See you in the next one. Take care, and God bless. Bye.